Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Isaiah. Yes, that's in the Old Testament. Go to Psalms and take a right. It's a few books over from there. We're going to look at faithlessness that was exposed by a child this morning. Faithlessness that was exposed by a child. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And it's a, got a familiar passage to it, but I'm going to give you all the history to it. Follow along as I read it. The words will be on the slides as well. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Aram's king Rezin, and Israel's king Pekah, son of Remaiah, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, go out with your son, Shir Jashub, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks. The fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. For Aram, along with Ephraim, the son of Ramalia, has plotted harm against you. They say, let us go up against Judah, terrorize it, and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can ins install Tabil's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. The chief city of Aram is Dam Damascus. The chief of Nab Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The chief city of Ephraim is Samaria. And the chief of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your, your people, and your father's house such a time as never, has, has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Let's pray. Father, it is an amazing thing when we dig deeper into your word to see you interweaving so many promises that you intend to keep in the midst of historical calamity. 
that people just miss what you're going to do because they're too concerned about what they're not getting to do. So show us this morning, Father, where we've been faithless and show us how we can strengthen our own faith this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you ever wondered where the, 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 the saying we say at Christmas time, the virgin will be with child and give birth and we'll call him Emmanuel, that's where it came from. That's the prophecy of Emmanuel. But it was used at the time to expose a king's faithlessness, a king's desire not to trust, trust God. But this account is how we know God became man in Jesus Christ. This is, how we, this is where it starts. This is where we know exactly that that's going to happen. So to help you kind of understand, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson, so don't go to sleep on me. But just so you know, biblical history is intertwined in human history. Okay, It does not stand alone as something that happened in a time without human history going on. It is interwoven among human history. Israel's history in the Bible runs from Genesis all the way to Nehemiah. That's the story. The rest of the book is Psalms, Proverbs, and Prophecies. Okay, It's wise sayings. It's also prophecies of what's going to happen to Israel because they stopped following Jesus. I mean God. They stopped following God. And so the kings of Israel... Israel, the chosen people, if you, you know, the, those are the folks, folks that went through the Red Sea on dry ground and they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. When they finally get into the promised land and conquer most of the enemies of Israel, they decided they wanted a king. And it starts in 1 Samuel. And the, king, the recording of the kings and what they do starts in 1 Samuel and goes to 2 Chronicles. These books cover the history of the kings. First and Second Chronicles actually is just the history of Judah's kings. And that brings up the issue of the divided kingdom. So we had Saul, King Saul, we had King David, and we had King Solomon, David's son. So those first three kings, unified country, unified nation, all 12 tribes living happily ever after, so to speak. But then after Solomon passed away, there was a division between in the, in the land of Israel Israel became the northern kingdom, as they say, and it was 10 tribes of the 12. And Judah became the kingdom to the south, led by the son of David, one of, an heir of David's, and it was one tribe, Judah. It absorbed Benjamin, if you want to know where Benjamin went and where the, where the other tribe went. It absorbed Benjamin. So there was Israel to the north, Judah to the south, the northern and the southern kingdom, Sometimes the, king, the northern kingdom is called Ephraim, which we see a lot in this particular passage. Sometimes it's just called Jacob in different places in your Bible. So if I haven't lost you yet, let me kind of wrap, wrap this history context up. All the kings of the northern kingdom were bad, evil, rotten, terrible. None of them followed God's laws at all. So you can know that if it's a northern kingdom, if it's a king of Israel after Solomon, they were terrible. Most of the southern kingdom kings were two. There were very few that were following God after Solomon. Just a few. Ahaz was not one of those few. Ahaz was evil. And we'll talk about him a little bit more as we get along. So Isaiah, which we're reading out of, he prophesied during Ahaz's reign. He also prophesied in other kings' times after Ahaz. So he prophesied during the reign of Ahaz, which was from 735 to 716 B.C. I know I'm still in the history lesson. Hang on. I'll get to the end in a second. 
So the story fits right in there in that, that seven, 16 year period, basically. And this particular encounter in Isaiah 7, you can, you can insert it. You won't find it in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, but you can insert it at 2 Kings 16.5. It's not even there. The fact that these two armies come against them is there, but not what Isaiah talked to them. 2 Kings 16.5, 2 Chronicles 28.16. So this is a story inside a story. If you've noticed recently, most movies and shows are trying to write a story kind of inside a story that contributes to the plot. This was already going on. God was the first one to do this, okay? So this isn't something new. But this story is a story inside. During conquest and alliances and all these things going on, people were constantly trying to take over each other's country. And at the middle of this, when Ahaz is faced with this test, God tests Ahaz's faith. That's what this story is really about. The, his faithlessness is exposed by a child that's going to be born to a virgin. So there's your context. If you've got more questions, I'd love to talk to you about it later. But this faithlessness that we've seen in King Ahaz, it revealed an eternal plan of God of how he was going to save humanity using his son. And so today we want to look at the, the fact that in times of crisis and chaos, we must stand on our faith, not on our own strength, not on our own abilities, stand on our faith in, in our salvation through Jesus Christ and the rescue that he has provided from hell and sin and death because Emmanuel did come and he was God with us. So where are you standing during the calamity of this life? That's the question we want to answer this morning. Who are you trusting in for this life and the next? Let's answer that question this morning. So there's two choices presented in this text. Two choices are revealed in this account of Judah's history. Ahaz chose poorly. Just so you know, I'm letting the cat out of the bag early. But first of all, let's look at the fact that faith in humans fails every time. Faith in humans fails every time. Every time. Look at verses 1 through 9 again. <clears throat> this took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Remaliah, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees in a forest shaking in the wind the lord said to isaiah go out with your son shir jashub to meet ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field say to him calm down and be quiet don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks the fierce anger of rezin and aram and the son of ramalia for Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has plotted harm against you. They say, let us go up against Judah, terrorize it, and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tobiel's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. The chief city of Aram is Damascus. The chief of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The chief city of Ephraim is Samaria, and the chief of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. 
Now that's God speaking, okay? Isaiah is just conveying it, but that's God speaking. So in Isaiah, some of us may know that in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah receives his call from God. He sees a vision of God's train filling the temple and angels flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. And he, God asks, who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah steps up and says, I'll go. I'll send. I'll, you can send me. And then God tells him, you're going to go and you're going to preach to all of Israel, to Judah. You're going to prophesy and preach and tell them to, to return to the Lord and they will not listen. That's pretty hard, hard language for a pastor to hear, for any preacher to hear. Well, you can go all there and preach all you want, pastor, but they're not going to listen to you. That's what God told Isaiah. So he had just received his call. And the first event he gets to do is he gets to go confront King Ahaz over his lack of faith. He goes to see God test King Ahaz's faith. That's kind of a rough first assignment. I don't know that I would want to go on that one. So verses 1 through 2, really, it sets the timeline so that you can figure out and go back and look in first or Second Kings and Second Chronicles. You can figure out the timeline that I talked about earlier. There was a conspiracy between two different countries, two different kings. One was a, was a Jewish brother, the king of Israel. And then there was one that was the king of Syria, or Aram, as you see in there. There was a conspiracy. And once that was revealed, the people's reaction was interesting. This is God's chosen people. This is the people who know that God led them through the Red Sea, fed them manna in the desert, gave them quail to eat, helped them conquer armies that were strong. This was the people that were led by King David to defeat the Philistines. They are trembling like trees shaking in the wind in the forest. But here's where, where's their faith? Well, because the king has none. So why should they have some? Isn't that interesting how leadership plays out? In verses 3 through 6 are Isaiah's first words at a very specific spot in Jerusalem. Jesus, God didn't say just go talk to Ahaz. He said go to this spot, meet Ahaz there. The end of a water conduit, basically an aqueduct of some sort. This was something that Ahaz had already built to protect Jerusalem's water supply and not let it be vulnerable to the enemy. So he was already doing things to try to cover himself and protect himself. He was already counting on his own self. So God says, go there and tell Ahaz this. Be calm, be careful, be fearless, be courageous. Literally, these words mean don't do anything. Don't do anything. Don't do anything but wait on God. Do nothing but wait on God. Boy, don't we have a problem with that? I'll get to that in a minute. So these two conspiring kings are like a smoking stick. There's no fire. There's no threat. They're just smoke. No fire. Nothing to be worried about. God tells Ahaz exactly what they are planning even. He's, he even reveals their plan. They're going to come in, try to conquer and terrorize you, and then they're going to put a king, a person in place of you as king, which are, is not from the house of David, which is not a son, a descendant of David. He tells them the whole plan. You, you Ahaz, now see the enemy's plan. So just wait. Trust me. Do nothing. That news should give that news should give Ahaz and the people some assurance that God's in control of this. 
I mean, in verse 7 through 9, God even tells Ahaz in plain language, their plans will not succeed. I would love that sometimes, wouldn't you? You just hear God say right in your ear, their plans will not succeed. Now, he tells us that through his word, so we, we already know that. But it didn't help them. They didn't, they didn't listen to that. Their plans won't succeed if you don't, if you trust me. God will preserve the line of David because he promised to do that to David. He kept that promise. God's promise, God's promise. God won't allow them to win if you trust in me. See, this news from God via Isaiah should give Ahaz and people the assurance to trust God. But we're going to see that it doesn't. God kind of uses um, the promise of David. He says these two despots can't change that. Now, if Ahaz is going to be part of this, that's kind of still up to Ahaz if he's going to trust Jesus. But Syria or Aram and the capital and the king will be gone in 65 years, he prophesies here. And so will Ephraim, Israel and Jacob, or Jacob, all of those, that country will be gone too. Their alliance will be dissolved. It'll be destroyed. It'll be rendered useless by the king of Assyria, which was another empire that was growing, empowering. They were going to conquest. Assyria came in eventually and con conquered all the lands around Israel and Jerusalem. And both of these guys will be conquered and done away with. If you'll trust me, you won't, be, you won't experience that. Trust God now. See, God ordained this rescue by a pagan empire. He was going to use Assyria to save his people. It will happen, so Ahaz doesn't need to do anything but trust God. He doesn't need to do anything. I know, like sit on your hands. I, I can't do it. I got to do something. Well, God tells Ahaz his faith in God is all that will save him. That, that last part of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Trusting completely in God is the only escape that they have. It's the only way they'll be rescued from this disaster that's coming. However, as we know, Ahaz did not. In 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, it tells us that they didn't. He tried to, what he did try to do is he tried to buy security from the king of Assyria, which was the guy that was going to come in and, and destroy the other two guys. He tried to buy security from him, even using treasures from inside the temple of God to buy the king, and that king's name is Tiglath-Pileser. Yeah, try that six, three times. In the end, that king of Assyria will conquer all of Palestine and besiege Jerusalem during Ahaz's reign. It didn't work out. He couldn't buy security. He should have just done nothing and trusted God. See, faith in human security will always fail. No matter how much you pay for it, you need to stand firm in your faith. Human, humans are going to fail us. See, King David and King Solomon, they knew where to put their faith. In Proverbs 24.10, King Solomon writes, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? But then in Psalms chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, Psalms 27 through 9. Listen to what David writes. Some take pride in chariots 
and other in horses. But we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. May he answer us on the day that we call. And then later there's a psalm in Psalms 44. This is not written by David, but some of the, the choir direct leaders of the temple. He says, it says, you are my king, my God, who ordains victories for Jacob. Through you, we drive back our foes. Through your name, we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow, and my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our foes, and let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in God all day long. We will praise your name forever. That should be our attitude, brothers and sisters. Trust in the Lord all day long. Not in humans, not in anybody else. The best illustration for this whole thing is to tell you what actually happened in the end. What God did after Ahaz chose to trust men instead of him. The king of Syria and the king of Israel eventually defeated him. They killed 120,000 Judah men, Judean men, in one day. One day, they killed 120,000. That's a tragedy. We've never seen that in my lifetime. I've never seen that many killed in one day. But God even tells us in 2 Chronicles 28, why? Because they had forsaken the Lord. Makes it clear. They turned their back on God. God let them be conquered. Let 120,000 be killed and Ahaz's land invaded. God speaks plainly to us all in, in his word. He says to us, come and find rest in me. Come and find peace. Come and find hope in Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus says it real clear. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you trust that? I mean, Jesus said that. Do you trust that? I hope so. Jesus tells us all to obey his commands, and truly being his disciples, then we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. All we have to do is wait on him. So why do we still trust in men? Why are we still trusting in even ourselves? Ahaz trusted in himself. He thought he was clever. Why do we trust in ourselves? Why do we hope in some human or government solution to our problems? I can tell you why. I know why I do it. We forsake God because we like our own plans. We want to be our God. We want to be God. We just, that's, that's the, really the truth is. We want, we want our plans to be in control. We want our self-interest to be taken care of. We assume we know better than God. Yes, than God. That's one of our tendencies. That's, that's the tendency of all sinful nature in human beings is that we tend to want to be God. 
So do you wonder why life is so hard sometimes? It's because we will not trust and wait on God. So many times we could have saved ourselves some heartache if we'd have just waited and trusted. Because most of our pain usually is self-inflicted. I mean, we, we easily find someone to blame it on. I mean, we really do. You know, we're always looking for that scapegoat. But most of our pain is self-inflicted. And our attempts to save ourselves fails every time. So trust in God. Ahaz was told to do nothing and that God would take care of it. But he couldn't sit on his hands. He couldn't sit still because he wanted to be his own God. He wanted to be in control of everything. We are told the same, but we attempt our own solutions. And faith in our own self will fail every time too, even when you think you're succeeding. So faithlessness toward God Faithlessness toward God one day will be exposed in every human being by one simple fact. The virgin will be with child. And we will call him Emmanuel. So God gave a sign to show all of us who to trust, who to depend on, which is why we're at point two. Faith in God's promise never fails. Never fails. Verses 10 through 17. Follow along as I read that past part again. Then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Sheol is just the grave. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. (laughs) Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah when the kingdom's divided. Is that what he's saying? He will bring the king of Assyria. I mean, he's already telling him what's going to happen. But let's look at this again. God wants to encourage Ahaz's faith in verses 10 and 11. So he says, ask for a sign. And it could be anything. Anything. Now remember, this is all after Ahaz has already made a deal with the king of Assyria. He's already trusted in the king of Assyria. But, but God's given him one last opportunity One last chance to trust God. Ask for a sign. And the the request could be anything. Nothing was off limits. He could ask God to change the rotation of the earth. He could have. And it would have been fine, folks. It would have been fine. I know some of you scientists are kind of going, whoa, that's pretty big. But remember, he could have done this. Understand that. What an invitation. I mean, Ahaz had done better than winning the lottery. But where is his faith? He has none, not in God, only in himself. So verse 12 really disappoints, but it reveals the heart of Ahaz. (laughs) He says, I won't test God. I won't test God. He's really acting kind of like pious and reverent. But who's he kidding? Who's he kidding? This man burned his son to death in a fire for the god Molech. 
He'd already done this. He had already made that kind of commitment right out of the chute as he, after he became king. Who's he kidding that he's got reverence for God? If you want the reference for that, it's in 2 Chronicles 28.3. So Isaiah, with God's inspiration, unloads on Ahaz, and he calls out his hypocrisy. Why would you try the patience of men and the patience of God? And he uses, he uses uh, Ahaz as kind of like his full name, House of David. That's like your mom using all your name when you were in trouble. This is, this is how it goes in the Bible. How, son of House of David, Ahaz, you've exhausted God's patience. Now that should scare all of us to death, that you can exhaust the patience of God. His patience runs out. It's clear in Scripture over and over again. His patience will run out. It takes a lot, but his, his patience will run out. It's playing with fire. Ahaz has already made the deal with Assyria, but even now he won't trust God for a sign. And so verse 14, God steps in. I will give you a sign, a sign that you won't even ever see. You won't ever see it. You won't ever be a chance to experience it because you wouldn't believe it anyway. Because of his faithlessness, God gave him a sign no one would ever request. No one would ever ask for this sign, a virgin conceiving. No one would ask for that. For one, why would you? A virgin becoming pregnant without the involvement of a man is truly a faith-testing miracle. And that's the sign God chose. But not only is she going to be pregnant, she's going to have a son. See, gender reveals weren't a big deal back then. They didn't know. They didn't know to the day he showed up, the child. There's no gender revealed back in that time. He's carrying a son. She's carrying a son. But that's not all. Not only is the virgin going to conceive and it's going to be a son, his name will be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He will be God with us. He will be God with us. Not figuratively, but truly. So that's the beauty of that name, Emmanuel. That's just a transliteration of a Hebrew word. El being the word, the ending being the word for God. Emmanuel, God with us. His name is not like a prayer, God be with us in this calamity. These enemies are banging on our door and, and threatening us. That's not what it is. It's not God be with us. It's God will be with you in the flesh. That's the promise that we should trust in. Well, how do we know? Because you should ask that question, by the way. How do we know? That sign changed the world. That sign changed the world. There is nothing in this world that's not been impacted or affected by the birth, the virgin birth of Emmanuel. And so in verse 15 and 16, he speaks of the boy coming into the poverty of people. Honey and curds were considered food of the poor. And so Emmanuel was going to be born into the poor of the, of the people. But before he could even discern what was healthy and right, not bad and evil or not good and evil, that's not the good and evil, that's not the good and bad he's talking about here, but what's healthy and dangerous from, from those two things, both of these kingdoms will be gone before he's that old. 
meaning their lands will be desolate before the boy is born. Your fears have no purpose, is what he's telling them. Ahaz, your fears soon will have no reason to be exist. But wait, there's more I want you to know, Ahaz. Because he failed to believe God, God reveals the future of his kingdom. See, he didn't just tell him about the, the child being born in the future. He tells him, here's what's going to happen to you, Ahaz. Here's what's coming. God will unleash the worst event since the kingdom's divided. Since after Solomon and the two kingdoms divided, this will be the worst event ever. It will ruin all of David's people, all of Abraham's descendants. The king of Assyria will rampage the promised land. That's the promise. That's what's going to happen. They will, he will take all of their wealth and their security. Their faithlessness, exposed by Mary's, virgin, Mary's child, will des, desolate God's chosen people. It's going to happen. And it did. Ahaz had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of knowing his fate, the fate of his kingdom. Assyria came in, destroyed all of Israel, and then took over most of Judah, never did take over Jerusalem. That wasn't happening until Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in, but almost did several times. And they all went into exile from the land, and their faithlessness lost everything, everything that God had given them. Because they wouldn't trust him, they trusted in themselves. All they had to do was trust God to save them. He alone is where our faith should be. Think about it. He alone. That's where our faith should be. And that's what this time of year is really about. It happened, folks. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. The virgin birth happened. It really did. It was a virgin birth. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, tells us how it happened. And it is a mighty scripture. In the sixth month, which is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and you'll have to read the passage above about that, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. You see Mary's faith there? 
You see it? She's a teenager. I mean, she's not even 18 or 19 probably. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what God's got planned for me. I hope you see that faith. Because faith in God, I mean, Noah had it. Abraham had it. Joseph, Moses, David, Daniel, Esther, Ruth, Mary. Are those not enough examples of people depending on God? Their faith was in God? I hope so, because now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Do you trust God? Do you believe this sign that was given? Do you believe that the virgin became pregnant and gave birth to a son and his name was Emmanuel? Can you put faith in Jesus? That's a question that faces all of us. Every human being. Some of them won't ever hear that question maybe, but, or they won't even listen to it, but it's the reason for this season. It really is. Emmanuel came, born in a manger. That's the reason we're, we're, we're having all this decoration and, and the gifts and the parties and whatever else you do for this season. God the Son came in human form by a virgin birth to save. He did not come to be an earthly king. He did not come to be a warrior. He didn't come to even be, just be a famous teacher, as the Muslims call him. He came only, only to save. He came only to save. Faith in God's Son for the forgiveness of your sins is the best you can have in all eternity. It's the best bet for eternity. Don't trust anything else because there's nothing else that's going to guarantee your soul's salvation. Without faith in Jesus, it is impossible to please God. Pleasing God requires you to deal with your sin. If you want to make God happy, you've got to deal with your sin. You know what? The only way you can deal with your sin? Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Believing in Him. The only Savior capable of saving you is Jesus. He's the only one. There is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. The baby in the manger became the man on the cross to reconcile lost humanity with a holy God. Believe it. I encourage you to believe it. And if you already believe it, share it. That's what we should be doing this season. It's a great opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. You can bring it up. I know sometimes you feel like you can't because we were happy holiday stuff, but nobody can deny what the Christmas tree is. Nobody can deny the manger and the angels and the story. They can pretend it didn't happen, but don't waste another day hoping for a better solution. God may actually run out of patience with you. God forbid. So now is the time. Today is the day to get saved. It's, the, it's, it's God's call. He wants to rescue you from eternal damnation. See, Ahaz chose to trust in himself. Even with God giving him as many opportunities, mercifully giving him many opportunities to trust God, he still chose to trust himself. But God showed him and he shows us that there's a better way. There's someone else that God intends for you to trust. Emmanuel. So no matter what your problems are, your issues you face today, Jesus is the solution. Trusting him begins the end of all those problems. I'm not promising your prosperity. I'm talking about a peace that passes understanding, a solution of the way to live your life. 
And the best Christmas gift you can give yourself is trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The best Christmas gift. You get nothing else, that is the best. So let's take some time as we pray to ask God to give this gift to everyone. Everyone. The gift of faith in the Son, born of the Virgin Mary, who became God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. I ask everyone to be praying for that. So let's spend some time asking God to save the lost. Have some time of quiet prayer, and then I'll close this out after a minute or so. Let's pray.